Action Day. So thankful to see you guys today. If you remember last year, we had to meet outside drive-in service in the midst of pandemic, and it just wasn't the same. It's been two years since we were able to do this, so I am so thankful to be able to do this on this Easter day with you guys. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Romans 6. Romans 6, and we are here this morning celebrating the God of impossibilities. This day marks the central confession of our faith, and be ready, Christ is risen. Okay, let's do it again. I want you to actually um, say it like you mean it, like it actually happened. Christ is risen. Brothers and sisters, the tomb was empty so that we don't have to be. And we, we're here today because we believe that Jesus Christ literally and physically was resurrected from the dead. We, we don't believe that the resurrection was an analogy or a metaphor. We're not here celebrating that Jesus got up when he got knocked down so that we can get up too. That is not what we're celebrating. We believe that Jesus Christ was physically and literally killed. That he was in the grave from Friday afternoon until Sunday morning, and on Sunday morning, he came bursting forth from the grave because it could not hold him. The resurrection is not just a story that we tell, it's a reality that we believe, and it changes everything. Changes everything. If Christ has risen from the dead, and we're here this morning saying that he has, then nothing else can stay the same. Nothing can stay the same. In the words of Wolfhart Panningberg, a German philosopher, he said, The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. Oh, you think? Yeah, someone rising from the dead, that's pretty unusual. And second, if you believe it, it happened, you have to change the way you live. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you like the person of Jesus, not whether you like the teachings of Jesus. The issue upon which everything hangs is, is he alive? Is he alive? And here's what we know. Something happened in first century Israel. A boulder was dropped in the ocean, and it's still producing ripples 2,000 years later and thousands upon thousands of miles away. Like an asteroid that falls from the sky, the resurrection of Jesus makes an impact in our lives. Or like an earthquake that shakes the ground beneath our feet, the resurrection should shake things up in terms of how we see the world and even how we see ourselves. The resurrection throws us off balance. It, it rocks the boat that we are in, and it turns our neat and orderly lives upside down, really right side up. If you've never found, let me just say this, if you've never found the resurrection at least a little hard to believe, then you probably haven't taken it serious enough. If you haven't found it um, hard to believe, you're not taking it as serious as you should take it. So if you're new to FBCO or haven't been here in a while, we are 12 weeks into a 38-week series that has us walking through the book of Romans. And it just so happens that where we find ourselves today in Romans is where Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the powerful difference that it can make in our lives, meaning it changes everything. This is going to be a little different message than normal, especially different message than, than most uh, Easter messages because we're not, we are going to focus on the resurrection, but we're also going to focus on 
If you really believe it, like according to the Bible, if you believe it, then there are two things that are going to be true in your life or that should be true in your life. And we're going to see what they are. So today we're not going to go as deep as we normally do, but I pray that you will come to understand the truth of what we are seeing and what the Apostle Paul is telling us. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 6, and Paul says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer or would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we come this day to the amazing declaration of our faith that we serve a risen Savior. Lord, today we pray that you would meet each one of us, Lord, right where we are. We think about that first resurrection in the lives that woke up thinking it was going to be an average, ordinary day or maybe even a day of sadness and oh, how their lives were completely transformed. God, do that today. Do that today. Speak, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. I, I love Easter. I love Easter Sunday. I don't just love it because jelly beans come in, back in um, for about a month, and I love me some jelly beans. Just, I love candy. I um, just love it. I love Easter um, because we get to celebrate our risen Savior, and I love Easter because it's a perfect time for any who have been considering becoming Christians, to actually cross that line of faith, to actually cross the line. Easter has potential to be a bypass, in a sense, from our objections and our, the doubts that might keep us away from Christianity. And what I mean by that is this. If Jesus conquered the grave, if Jesus defeated death, then that should be enough to make us doubt our doubts, or at least should be enough to make us lay aside some of our objections. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then what he says probably has eternal significance for us. If Jesus, if the resurrection is real, then it matters how we respond to him. It eternally matters. So what Paul does here in Romans 6 is he establishes the resurrection as the foundation of everything. The resurrection proves that Jesus was who he said he was and that he would do what he said he would do. Just a quick little tour here. Just consider the claims that Jesus made when he walked this earth. John 8, Jesus claimed that he was before Abraham, meaning Jesus said, I'm eternal. 
In John 10, Jesus claimed to be equal with the Father. Him and the Father are one. In John 14, Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. In Matthew 9, Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins. In Luke 19, Jesus claimed that he came to seek and save that which was lost. In Matthew 20, Jesus claimed that he came to this earth to die. But the claim of all claims was that of the resurrection. And we know that Jesus repeatedly made this claim. He made this claim metaphorically. In John 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Later, or earlier, Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Jesus also made this claim very definitively. After the confession of Peter in Luke 9, Jesus told his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, be killed, and on the third day be raised. Again and again and again throughout the Gospels, Jesus declared that he would in fact be killed, destroyed, placed in a grave, but he would not stay there. Would not stay there. Listen, if you're not going to say amen, at least say ouch. At least say something. Do you want more proof that Jesus made the most audacious claim to ever be made? In Matthew 27, his enemies asked to put a guard at his tomb to keep the disciples from stealing his body and claiming that he had risen from the dead. Now, why would his enemies suggest that? Because they said he claimed that he would rise from the dead. So even his enemies got it. And here's what we have to understand. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then he was a liar. And if he's a liar, then he could not be the perfect sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Only a sinless sacrifice could be your atonement and my atonement, could pay your debt and my debt. Yet at the resurrection, Jesus kept his word as the sinless son of God, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And let me just say this. If you're here today and you've never crossed that line of faith, maybe you're here and you say, I don't care about this at all. I'm here because someone asked me to be here and I'm here. And I'm kind of just running away from all of this. The fact that you're here shows that you can't outrun God. You can't outrun him. You think you get to the end of where you think you're going, and guess what? God's there. And he said, I've been waiting on you. I've been waiting on you to get here. But if you're here today and have never crossed that line, here's my declaration to you. Jesus will change you. Among the things that you will find at the tomb that first Easter, minus the body of Jesus, of course, are a stone angels, a linen cloth, a face cloth that were wrapped around Jesus. But do you know what else you'll find there? Languishing in the corner, in the dust of that empty tomb, destined to be buried forever is the end of all our excuses as to why things can't change. Why things can't change. God has buried our can'ts in the grave of Jesus Christ. Every last one of them. Because Christ is risen, you can face the struggles of Friday when everything is torn apart and you don't know what's going on. Because of Christ, you can face the silence of Saturday when it seems like nothing is happening. It seems like nothing is going on. And because of Christ, you can celebrate this Sunday knowing that the same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is able to live in you and change you forever. 
ever. Let, let me just say it one more time. The resurrection of Christ isn't just a game changer. It's an everything changer. It changes everything. Changes everything. If you are here, and this is kind of weird for a second to put this in the middle of the service, but let me say this. If you are here today and you have never crossed that line of faith, the Bible says there is a day for salvation, and it's called today. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day to cross that line of faith. Today is a day to stop putting trust in yourself or in what someone else told you and to come to Jesus for who he is, Savior and Lord. It's a day to cry out from the depths of your heart and ask God to save you from your sins because you can't save yourself. And here's the beauty. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You shall be saved. And if you're saved, then everything we're about to say is now true of you. If you are here today in Christ, then according to Paul, there are two realities that become true of you, that are true of you right now. And this is going to be, I'm going to use a quote from John Stott, and this is going to kind of be our points for today, our two points for today. John Stott said this, our biography is written in two volumes. Volume one is a story of the old man, the old self, of me before my conversion. Volume two is a story of the new man, the new self, of me after I was made a new creation in Christ. Volume one of my biography ended with the death of the old self. I was a sinner. I deserved to die. I did die. I received, I received my deserts and my substitute with whom I have become one. Volume two of my biography opened with my resurrection. My old life having finished, a new life to God has begun. We have to keep saying to ourselves, volume one has closed. I am now living in volume, or volume two. Listen, you cannot go on living your life the way you used to live it because if you are in Christ, you are not the person you used to be. You're not the person you used to be. You can't go on living like you've always lived because you're not the person you used to be. For in Christ, two truths today. If we are in Christ, these are true of us according to the Apostle Paul. Number one, in Christ, we are dead to sin. In Christ, we are dead to sin. I want you to think about the story of the prodigal son. It's a pretty familiar story across um, our faith. It's told in Luke 15. A younger son went to his dad and said, Dad, I kind of wish you were dead. But since you're not dead, go ahead and give me the inheritance that's coming to me. And his dad does, and he goes out and blows it with wild living. Lived as crazy as he could possibly live. Then, in utter disgrace, he comes to his senses and says, well, maybe I should return to my father and just be one of his servants or slaves because even they have food to eat, and I don't. So he goes back to his father, thinking in his mind he would be a servant. But to his astonishment, he finds his father running towards him, not to cast him out, but to bring him in. His father even throws a huge party for him. He's welcomed back, not as a servant, but as a son, even though he doesn't deserve it. Even his older brother is disgusted by it and says, this shouldn't be. Now fast forward maybe a year or two. Imagine this thought coming to the young son's mind. Life is pretty good now. My older brother tolerates me. My, my dad is, is getting older. But man, it sure was a lot of fun for a while when I went out on my own and lived it up. 
It was a lot of fun. It was cool that my dad was waiting after I messed up. What if I did it all again? What if I went out and lived it up and then came back and got the hero's welcome and maybe, just maybe, dad would throw me a party? Listen, that, that sounds unthinkable, right? That sounds absurd. But let me say this. That's the summary of many professing Christians' lives. In their mind, I do the sinning, God does the forgiving. I'll sin, God forgives. I'll sin, God forgives. By all, why? I have a get-out-of-hell-free card. I can do whatever I want to, but here's the deal. Brothers and sisters, before we came to Christ, we had chains on our hands and on our feet, and we were a slave to sin. And in coming to Jesus, he, through his blood, removed those chains from us and cast them aside so that we are free in him. But does it make sense for us to continue to run back to those chains, grab them again, and say, I have to have them on me because it feels comfortable. I have to have them here because life's more fun. I have to have them on me because it just makes more sense. Brothers and sisters, that's absurd. It's absurd, yet... Paul says here that through the resurrection, Jesus has destroyed the reign of sin in our lives. Verse 3, as you see on the screen, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Now, Paul isn't saying that all kind of awesome things happen when we're baptized. He's saying that baptism shows what has happened to us spiritually when we trusted Christ. When we trusted Christ, we're buried with Christ. Now, we don't stay that way. The, the word buried there is a horticultural term. It means we are planted, and we're planted in Christ. And if you're in Christ, guess what? You're going to grow, and you're going to bear fruit. It's a picture of what Christ has done for us. But then verse 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And then verse 11, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin. Paul doesn't say if you feel like it. Paul doesn't say if everything's going good in your life. He says, no, you're dead to sin. The question that Paul begins with is should believers remain in sin? The problem with remaining in sin is the absurdity of the thought. It's kind of like asking whether one should remain stuck in the bottom of the well while a rope has been lowered down. So if you're stuck in the bottom of a well and a rope has been lowered down, do you have to ask, hey, do you want to stay there or do you want to come up? No. Anybody with a, any common sense is going to say, get me up. But here's the point. Grace is designed to get us out of the well of sin, not to make us comfortable in it. Let me say it again. Grace is designed to get us out of the well of sin, not to make us comfortable in it in it. Now, I'm not saying we won't struggle with sin and temptation, and I'm certainly not saying that I don't struggle with sin and temptation. I'm not saying that sin won't win battles in your life or my life, but what I am saying is, because of Jesus Christ, sin won't win the war. It won't win the war. Listen, as a Christian, you and I will struggle with sin, but Make sure that you're struggling with sin. Let me say that again. Make sure you're struggling with sin. Because when you stop struggling with sin, one of two things happens, or is true. So maybe you're here today and you say, I don't struggle with sin at all. Well, it's because of one or two reasons. Number one, 
you're dead. So if you're here today, I don't struggle with sin. Man, you're dead and we missed your funeral. I'm sorry, this is bad. It's kind of awkward in this moment, but you have died. And we're sorry about it, but you have died. So either you're dead or, secondly, you have cut the anchor of Christ and you are now freely being pulled away by sin. As the old saying goes, sin will take you further than you're willing to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. That's the reality of sin in your life and my life. Let me frame it in a different way. If a wicked military force had complete control of a country and a good, more powerful army invaded, the good army could throw the wicked force out of power and give the capital and the seat of power back to the government. But that out-of-power soldiers could still live in the bush, and they could still choose to in different times torment different types of people and different people in this country. They could still use their power that they still have left and their abilities to torment. It's the same deal with sin. We are set free, yet sin is hiding in the bushes, waiting to attack us, waiting to sneak upon us. Therefore, having died to sin doesn't mean that sin is no longer within you or that sin no longer has any powerful influence over you. It does. But what it does mean is that sin can't dictate your life. You no longer have to obey sin. And guess what? You are no longer identified as your sin. Your sin isn't your identity. It's not your identity. Again, listen, sin often feels very much alive. Sometimes so alive that we just don't feel like we have a choice except to give in to it. But we are told to regard ourselves as dead to sin even when it feels very much alive to us. This predicament reminds me of a story I heard about ants. I know that doesn't sound very powerful to you right now, but I assure you it's very powerful. Celebrated American Entomologist and sociobiologist E.O. Wilson did his early research with ants. He described how ants communicate with each other through a series of pheromones, chemical words they release to indicate certain states like danger approaches, or I found food, or I'm ready to mate, or even I'm dying so throw me out. Wilson decided to do an experiment to see what would happen if he sprayed some of the I am dying pheromone onto an ant that was actually alive and healthy. So the ant that got sprayed with the I am dying pheromone was immediately taken and picked up by the other ants in the colony and taken to an ant graveyard and left there. Well, this poor little ant who's feeling great marches back to the nest where he belongs. They pick him up again and take him right back out of the graveyard. Again and again and again, this poor little ant didn't have a chance. But brothers and sisters, by analogy, that's the same thing that we're to do to sin. Sin shows up and it's like, no, you're dead. You're dead to me. So we take sin where sin belongs to the graveyard and we leave it there. Where our chains are, where Jesus left our chains, we take our, the sin and we leave it there. And we don't give in. Even when sin wants to have its way, even when it feels like no one else is watching. Listen, in Christ you are dead to 
sin. Sin is no longer your identity. The believer that has died of their sins doesn't want to go back there anymore than Lazarus wouldn't have wanted to go back in the tomb the day that he was set free. Can you imagine Lazarus coming out of the tomb and Jesus saying, loose him and let him go? And Lazarus says, no, nah, I was sleeping really good in there. Can you like put me back? I mean, everything was good. Everything was great. I, I'll, in fact, I'll go back. Can somebody just take the stone and put it back? No. Lazarus was, I don't want to see that again, even though he would. Get me away from there. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, we are dead to sin. You don't have to give in to sin. You don't have to put the chains of sin back on. We're dead to sin, but secondly, in Christ, we are alive to God. We are alive to God. Too many Christians or professing Christians are what I call tweeners. They live between Good Friday and Sunday. Meaning, they'll say, yes, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, I believe Jesus died for my sins. Yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross. But they have zero resurrection power in their lives. They're not living in victory. They're not living for the king. They're not living with his power and his might in them. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you are a a believer, if you are a Christian, a radical shift has taken place in your life. Hear this. You are not who you once were. At one time, you were spiritually dead to God, but you were alive to sin. But through your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now dead to sin and you are alive to God. Look at verse 4 on the screen. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in not oldness of life, not familiarity of life, newness of life. Walk in newness of life. And then verse 8 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe, praise God, that we will also live with him. And then verse 11, So you also must consider yourself not only dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not simply a matter of refusing sin, and it's definitely not a matter of just playing dead every time sin comes along. We're not fainting goats, and every time sin screams, we just fall over. I mean, that would be awesome, right? It'd be awesome if we were fainting goats, if, if every time sin said, ah, we go, whoop, and that would be fantastic. Unfortunately, we're not wired that way. We have to resist. We have to not give in. We have to hear this. We have to know who we are in Christ. There there was a a guy who visited his nutritionist. And he said, I need some help changing my diet. The nutritionist said, what seems to be the problem? And the guy said, every time I go to the grocery store, I find myself wanting to eat dog food. When I walk in, I feel inexplicably drawn to the dog food section. And when I'm there, I find myself staring at the pictures of the dogs on the dog food, wishing that I could play with those happy dogs. The guy said, finally, I just can't get enough. So I take a bag and I rip it open and I get a handful and I just eat it. And then I'm so excited that I begin to bark and howl and I roll over and I beg people to scratch my belly. To which the nutritionist says, sir, it doesn't sound like a dietary challenge. It sounds like there might be a different form of challenge for you. But the nutritionist said, but I got to ask, how long has this been going on? To which the man said, 
ever since I was a puppy. Now, listen, listen, some, some things require more than behavior modification. Transformation has to do, and it starts with identity. Let me just say it again. You no longer find your identity in sin. You now identify with your Savior. Stop identifying with sin. When sin comes back to you, and it will, and when sin says, this is who you are, this is what you do, this is what you've done, this is what you're good for, we look at sin and we say, I'm not a slave to you anymore. I know who I am. I'm a child of the king. I am one who has been forgiven, and I am one who has power over you. I am not in your jurisdiction anymore. I know who I am. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not about turning over a new leaf. It's about receiving a new life. At the center of Christianity, it's not about new moral codes or new perspective. The center of Christianity is an empty tomb. And that empty tomb says that sin and death have been defeated. And if sin and death are defeated, then guilt has been defeated. Shame has been defeated. Injustice has been defeated. Addictions have been defeated. Pain has been defeated. Sorrow has been defeated. Despair has been defeated. And praise God, the enemy has been defeated. The resurrection changes everything. It changes people and it can change you. I want to end today with the words of John Newton, the guy that we know from writing the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Listen to what he says. I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, but still I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan, and I can hardly join with the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let me say that again today from my standpoint. Brothers and sisters, I'm not who I used to be. I am not who I used to be. Praise God, I'm not who I used to be. Now, I don't like always who I am. And I don't like always what I do. But here's the beautiful thing. I'm not who I once was. And I can say along with Apostle Paul, I am what I am. And you know what I am? I'm his. I'm his. Are you his today? Do you know him? Are you walking in the power of the resurrection, the power that sets Jesus free, that sets us free? Are you walking in that power? Oh, to God that you are. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And here's what I want to end this time, and it's a very familiar ending, but yet there is no more important ending than this. Has there been a time in your life where you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If not, may today be the day of your salvation. May today be the day that you, from the depths of your heart, cry out to God as only you can. And you let God know that you are a sinner and you know that you cannot save yourself. The only way you can be saved is through what Jesus has done for you. And then you, in this moment, tell God, I am trusting Jesus alone to save me.
He alone is my Savior. And may He change me. May He make me new. May I in Him become dead to sin and alive to you, O God. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In this moment, let me say this. If you are in Christ, your sin is not your identity. Your past is not your identity. All the mistakes you have made, the people you have hurt, they, that is not your identity. Your identity is who you are in Christ. Receive that. Believe that. Walk in that. Now, that doesn't mean we leave those other relationships that they didn't happen. No, in Christ, we're able to restore those things. We're able to go to those people. Let your identity be in your Savior. I'm going to ask you to stand and let's pray. Father, in this holy moment, I pray for any who are here in this room or any watching online that up until this moment, Lord, they had not yet crossed that line of faith. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you are convicting people or have already convicted people of their need for you, Jesus, as their Savior. And they have cried out to you, O oh God, from the depths of their heart, asking you to do what only you can do, only you can save. I pray that this would be a moment, Lord, where those who were dead and trespassed in sins are even right now this moment being brought to life in you. Those who walked in here, Lord, living in darkness, have now been exposed and become children of light. That we can say along with the blind man in John 9, I once was blind, but, but now, now I see. And Lord, I pray for believers across this room as well. And those listening online, Lord, we are not our sin. God, forgive us for where we are so quick to run back to the chains that you delivered us from. Jesus, you said if I set you free, you're free indeed. The Son makes you free. You're free. Forgive us, Lord, for, for running back to the chains because they're comfortable, because we know what to expect, or because everyone else is in them. Deliver us from that mentality. Deliver us from the identity of sin. And may we desire the identity of our Savior. We are dead to sin. We are alive to you. Live in us. In Jesus' name, amen.